Rick had a pretty uh, hard upbringing. His dad was uh, an ex-Air uh, Force pilot in the, uh, uh, in the United Kingdom Air Force. Um, and his dad was a bit of a womanizer. And so when his dad was 60 years old, he met a woman who was 30 years old, swept her off their feet, and uh, they ended up getting married. And uh, my best, one of my best friends, Rick, was born. Um, and uh, if, if you're a child of a 60-year-old dad when you are born, when you get to school, uh, your dad is now 75 years old. And so it was pretty tough. And I remember my friend Rick, his dad became an alcoholic, and he suffered. Uh, they, him and his uh, wife, they split up. And then my friend Rick, as an 18-year-old, had to go and put his father into a nursing home. And I remember every Saturday I would see my friend Rick walk past our house as he was going to visit his father in this old people's home. One day he brought his father to the church and his father had a little bit too much to drink. And uh, I remember after church one day, his father just started singing really loud. And you could just see Rick turn back and just the shame on his face. He had a really hard upbringing. But one thing about Rick, Rick was like a comedian. But he was also a hard man. I mean, he was like, he was like one of the hard kids at school. And what I mean by hard is he was about five foot six tall and about five foot six wide. And it wasn't fat. It was like muscle. He looked like the, the dwarf from uh, Lord of the Rings. I mean, he was just like this stocky, ready to get in a fight with anybody. And when Rick walked into the room, everybody was just like... <gasps> Like this, because they knew that somebody was in trouble, and he would come with this hard one. He had like this this high top hairstyle. It was like he had this square head, and he just was like menacing and mean. And so when we were at school, this was Rick, and then we got out of school, and Rick decided that he was putting on a little bit too much weight. So he wanted to lose some weight. Now, Rick was just like his dad. He had a very addictive personality. And we had to make sure that Rick didn't go near any drink or anything like that because it would really affect him. Well, Rick became fascinated with fitness, so much so that he decided he wanted to lose all his weight. And so every night he would go out running and he would like seriously, he looked like ridiculous. He would have this headband on. He would have a a trash trash bag over him so he could sweat as much as he could. And and he started and he could do like a few hundred feet and then he, he worked his way up. And within about six months, he was running about three miles. He lived in a high apartment building, and his apartment was on the eighth floor, and he could run up and down those stairs like really quick without dropping a sweat. And I remember one night, we went around Rick's house and went into his apartment, and I was sitting there watching TV with a couple of my other friends, and I looked over, and on the bedside table, there was this cream. I was like, what's this? And I looked at it, and it said, stretch mark cream. And I'm like, what? What are you doing? You're like pregnant or something? And he was like, no. He goes, I've lost all my weight. And he did the most grossest thing and he showed us. And it was just like nasty because he'd lost all his weight. And his stomach was like a shriveled prune. And so he was rubbing all this stuff over him. And so we started making fun of him. We started laughing. Well, one day, Rick comes by. 
And, uh, well, he calls me on the phone. He says, Alex, he goes, I'm at Ikea. I need you. And I'm like, sorry, Rick. I'm like, I'm busy. I, I, I'm, I've got stuff. I'm at work. I can't do anything. So he called one of my other friends. And uh, cut a long story short, I found out that Rick had called my friend to come and get a piece of furniture uh, from Ikea. And so I said, well, couldn't you fit in your car? He was like, no. He says, I realize I've lost so much weight, I couldn't lift the piece of furniture. Which we all just started laughing because this was hard man Rick. And now he couldn't even lift a piece of Ikea furniture. And so we all made fun of him. And after that, we probably shouldn't have made fun of him because he was living a healthy lifestyle. He decided, I'm going to put my weight back on and I'm going to go to the gym. So he put all the cardio aside and he went back to the gym. And now he's five foot six and he's five foot six wide again. But he lost all his strength. And he reminded me like a Superman who was once strong. And then when kryptonite comes, then he loses all his strength. Actually, a better story is a story of a guy in in the Bible called Samson. God had given this man, Samson, incredible strength. Sorry. God had given him incredible strength. And God had told him to use your strength. For my glory. So Samson went round fighting these people called the Philistines who had, uh, who had started persecuting God's people. And so Samson went around killing and destroying the Philistines so that they could not destroy and persecute God's people anymore. Now, the secret to Samson, you probably all know the story, the secret to Samson was his hair. My mic is going funny. Sorry. Let me fix this. Sorry, people. There we go. I won't buzz anymore. I try not to. So Samson went around fighting and everything. And the secret to Samson was his hair. And if his hair was long, Samson would have strength. And then if his hair was cut, he would lose his strength. And this is exactly what happened. You see, Samson compromised his integrity. He got to a place where he lost his strength, and it caused him to be captured by these Philistines. They arrested him, they beat him, they persecuted him, and they plucked his eyes out. And so Samson was, was made weak by the Philistines. He was arrested, and for the rest of his life, he spent his life in prison. But yet in his early life, Samson was a man who decided he was going to love the Lord his God with all his strength. And at the end of his life, after he'd lost his strength, after he'd lost his his dignity, after he'd lost his eyes, he decided that he would pray to God and he promised, God, let me have this strength once more so I can love you and I can use my strength for your glory. And God gave him his strength back. So one day, Jesus is walking along the road. A religious man comes up to him. He says, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? What do I need to do to gain eternal life? And we find in Mark chapter 12, verse 29, Jesus said this. He said, the greatest commandment is is this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And he said, to love your neighbor as yourself. And so we've already dealt with what does it mean to love the Lord your God with all your heart. We've already dealt with what it, what it means to love the Lord your God with all your soul, and then yet last week with all your mind. And today we're going to concentrate, what does it mean to love the Lord your God with all of your strength? 
Now, some versions, I'm not sure what version that, that you may read, whether it's on your phone or you have in front of you, but some versions say this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your might. And so if you maybe got a, maybe an older version or a new King James version or a King James version, it may say to love the Lord your God with all your might. But, but the words here, strength or might, they're equally as good in describing this last way that Jesus says that we must love God. And out of the four ways, uh, heart, soul, mind, and strength, this is probably the easiest for us to understand. Because the Hebrew word for strength is exactly the same as it is in English. It means to be strong. It means to be mighty. It's to be able to, to carry up and lift and use the strength that you have. Now, when we're talking about our strength, we're, we're not necessarily talking about uh, the ability to go to the gym and bench press 300 pounds. It's not that we go to the gym, we do 20 uh, chin-ups, and we're like, I'm doing this for Jesus, man. I'm doing it for Jesus. You know, I mean, years ago, we had, uh, uh, there, there was these teams that would go to church. It's called the power teams. And they were like these big, strong men, and they would rip phone books, and they would rip license plates, and they would do all this crazy stuff. And they're like, we're doing it for Jesus, man. And no, that's not what this means. It doesn't mean that we all go out and we're going to go to, you know, Gold's Gym or Planet Fitness or we're going to go down to the Y and let's go lift some weights together for Jesus. By strength, Jesus is asking or saying to love the Lord your God with your strength. Your strength. And I ask you today, what is your strength? What is your strength? One of the best leadership principles out there, whether you're leading a business or you're leading an organization or a church or a nonprofit or you're just leading uh, maybe a sports team or a group of friends, one of the best leadership principles out there is to lead by people's strengths. And what, what I mean by that is basically you let pe- discover what people are good at and then you let them lead by what they're good at. Uh, you know, if, if someone's good at cooking, then, you know, let them cook. If someone's bad at cooking, don't let them lead a cooking class, right? We want people who are good at cooking to lead a cooking class. And so whatever you're good at, basically the leadership principle is you should lead by that. I'm good at some things, but other things I'm not so good at. So there's people in the church who really help me in some things because I'm not that good at some areas. I mean, you go and put me, go nursing some babies, I'll just be like this, like, you know, I mean, I'll be all stiff. I wouldn't know what to do. But there's people who are good at, you know, at, I shouldn't say nursing babies. That's like a British term. I'm sorry. Like rocking babies, you know. But, you know, there's people who are good at that. There's people who are good over in the kids' area. You, you don't want me here leading worship because that's not my strength. You know, you don't want me singing because you'll all, like, want to get out the door and, and not hear me sing. And so one of these principles is to lead by your strength. Now, you wouldn't let a quarterback take the place of a nose tackle, right? I mean, I would love to see Tom Brady, like for one time, be in the position of a nose tackle. But you just wouldn't do it. And you wouldn't let a defensive lineman do the place kicking. I mean, you know, I don't think he could even lift his leg that high, you know? 
basically you work to the strength. And I ask you today, what is your strength? What is your strength? That's what God's saying. He said to love the Lord your God with all of your strength. And so this morning, I want us to answer three questions to help us decide what is our strength and how we are to love the Lord our God with our strength. And so the first question is this. I want to ask you, what are you able to do? What are you able to do? When you look at how you are made, when you look at what you're able to do with your life, what are you able to do? What can you do that others cannot do? You know, in in, uh, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 7, it says this. It says, um, It says, work with enthusiasm as though you're working for the Lord rather than for people. So work with enthusiasm as you are working for the Lord rather than for people. So in what you do, in what you can do, firstly, Ephesians tell us we must do it with enthusiasm. We must do it as we're working for God. When you go to work tomorrow morning, you may hate your job, but you may be good at it. And if you can do it, then that's a strength of yours. So do it as you're working for God. That is a way that we love the Lord our God with all of our strength. So sometimes we think our strengths are the things that we like to do. However, when we're serving God, it's easy to do the things we like to do. But the question isn't what you like to do, it's what can you do? What can you do? do. So looking back on the the story of Samson. So Samson's strength had left him. And at the end of his life, he had a desire once again to use his strength for God's glory. And at the very end of his life, listen to what this says in Judges chapter 16, verses 28 to 30. Samson's there. He's got no eyes. He's beaten. He's bruised. He's been imprisoned, and it says this, then Samson prayed to the Lord. Have you ever been in that place where, like, life is just horrible? I mean, it's like, not physically, but emotionally, your eyes are just being plucked out, that you feel in a prison. Isn't it funny how it's in those times, suddenly we sit down and we start praying to the Lord? You see, Samson had had spent his life doing things for God, but yet he had compromised his integrity. He'd led a few ladies who were pretty good lookers to come into his life and cause all these problems. He turned his eyes away from God, and at the end of his life, he was in in, in problems, and then he turns back to God. I wonder what would have happened if Samson when he came to that choice to lose his integrity, then he had prayed to God. But that's by the wayside. It says, then Samson prayed to the Lord. And this was his prayer. It said, Sovereign Lord, remember me again. And let me just say, if you are in a place where you have kind of gone your own way, doing your own thing, you've turned your back on God, the first prayer you should pray is this. God, remember me again. God, remember me again. God, forgive me. Let me return to you. 
And that's exactly what Samson said. He says, Sovereign Lord, remember me again. Oh God, please strengthen me one more time. With one blow, let me pay back the Philistines for the loss of my two eyes. Then Samson put his hands on the two center pillars that held up the temple. Then he pushed against them with both his hands and he prayed, let me die with the Philistines. And as he prayed that, the temple crashed down on the Philistine rulers and all the people. So he killed more people when he died than he had during his entire lifetime. Samson knew what his strength was. It was physical strength. And he used it for God's glory. And as you look at the people around you right now, people in your lives, as you look at your church, as you look at your community, one of the things that you can do in your strength to bring glory to God. One of the things that you can do. Not physically going and killing a bunch of Philistines. But what can you do in your strength? Everybody has a strength. Some of us, we have more strength than others. Some of us, we have a lot of weaknesses. But everybody has a strength. And and as I just look at our church, I, I see so many things that we could do if we just come together and we say we're going to love the Lord our God with our strength. And we're going to use our strength for God's glory. You know, I I look over there at the house and I see all those kids and how we can impact those kids' lives if maybe we just invest a little bit more. I see a community around us that that has so much that they need God and they need to hear the, the, the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they need to hear that God is a God of love and forgiveness. What can we do in our strength to go and tell that story to them? I, 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 see, I see people with musical talents and people with, with abilities to organize and, and do different things. And if we're not using our talents and our gifts and our strengths for God, then how are we going to love the Lord our God with all of our strength? You know, one thing I do and I don't like to do. There's days I love to cut the grass. There are days I hate to cut the grass. But you know what I've discovered? I have to cut the grass, you know? I mean, I can't just wait. Oh, well, we'll wait for winter. The grass will die eventually. You know, I can't do that because every week my grass grows. And even if there's no rain, it grows. I don't know how it grows, but it keeps growing. And so I have to go and cut the grass. And do you know what? I have to cut the grass because my wife can't push the lawnmower. You know, she's too weak. She's too little. And so I'm the one who has to do it. And I realize that because I'm the one with the strength to push, I have to do it. And there's chores in your home that that maybe you have to do because your kids can't do it. Or you have to do it because maybe your husband just doesn't do it right, right? So you have to do it. And you don't want to do it, but you know it's in your strength, so you do it. And so the person who loves the Lord their God with all their strength is the one who sees a field that needs harvesting. And they're the ones that go and put their hand to the plow 
and stop plowing? What needs do you see? What things do you see around you that you are able to do? Secondly, second question, what are you diligently and deliberately doing? What are you diligently and deliberately doing? It's all very well to see a need and meet a need. We need people who will do that. But as you mature in your relationship with God, you quickly discover that God wants so much more. He doesn't want you just to see a need and meet a need and then move on. In fact, I believe that God's heart melts when we start to seek out things that we can use our gifts and talents for, for him. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 3. It says this, commit your actions to the Lord and your plans will succeed. Commit your actions to the Lord and your plans will succeed. So right now in your life, what actions are you committing to the Lord? What are you committing to God in your life? What are you diligently doing with the gifts and the talents and the passions that God has given you so that you can love him more? You see, the one who loves the Lord, their God, with all their strength, is the one who is not just reactionary, but they're proactive in what they can do for God. And Samson was just this man. He took on the mission to destroy the Philistines. He didn't wait in his house, and then if the Philistines attack, he would go out, you know, and kick their butts, and go and, and kill them, and go and do all crazy stuff. And, and trust me, I'm not going to share it this morning, but if you really want to have some gross reading, you know, if you really want to, like, read something before dinner that's going to make you throw up, read the story of Samson, because the, some of the stuff he did was crazy. I mean, crazy, but he was deliberate and he was diligent in what he did for God. He wasn't reactionary. And you know, it was Napoleon Bonaparte who said this. He said, take time to deliberate. Take time to deliberate. But when it is time for action has come, or when the time for action has come, stop thinking and go in. And so we need to be diligent in what we do. We need to be deliberate and think about what we're going to do, but we need to be diligent. And right now in your strengths, with your gifts and the talents and the passions that God has given you, what are you doing to diligently and deliberately do for God? Do for God. So often, and I'm the same, we can be so reactionary. You know, we, 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 we go along our life as normal, then, then a crisis comes or, or uh, we see a need and we're like, we react to it. But I believe God's heart melts when we stand and say, God, you know what? I know you've given me with this. You've given me the ability to sing. You've given me the ability to communicate with others. You've given me the ability to to reconcile people. You've given me the ability to to, to communicate with kids. You've given me the ability to, to be able to share the gospel with people who have no idea what the gospel is. You've given me the ability to to make things and build things and do things. You've given me the ability to lead. Whatever God has given you, how are you deliberately and diligently 
committing that to God. For when you commit your actions to the Lord, your plans will succeed. They will succeed. Last question. What do you aspire to do? What do you aspire to do? So last week, when we talked about to love the Lord our God with all our minds, we talked about how we can imagine God and imagine heaven and think about the wonders of God. But when you think about your aspirations and ambitions, do they involve God or do they just involve yourself? When you think about your aspirations and ambitions, uh, are they all about God and what you can do for God, or are they about yourself? When you think about what you can do tomorrow, or what you're going to do next year, or what you're going to do in 10 years, does it center around loving God more, reaching more people for God, becoming more pure, pure and a holy disciple, or does it revolve around what you can do with your life to please yourself. You see, if your ambitions are just self-ambitions, to get a better job, to climb the career ladder, to have a billion children, as I'm sure people in this church, this is like your baby makers. So your ambitions to get a bigger house, to have enough to retire, then if that's just your ambitions then those are ambitions distant from God. Those are not bad ambitions to have. But when those are just your ambitions, you become distant from God. But when your aspirations and ambitions in life involve loving God more, He becomes so very close. You know, I remember at one point I did not want to go into church ministry. I did not want to become a preacher or a pastor. I mean, come on. What a lame job. I mean, ridiculous. There's no money in it. There's, you know, you don't get time. You don't get to go on multiple vacations. Your weekend's always taken up. I didn't want it. I saw my dad was a pastor, and I didn't want what my dad had. I wanted to go and make money. I wanted to be in finance. I wanted to go, you know, and see the world. And then one day, Jesus got hold of Alex. And he showed Alex how much he loved him. And I started realizing that if God loved me so much, then there was something in me. And I started loving God back. And God's love changed me completely from this selfish, selfish, ambitious kid who wanted everything about me. And then I realized that if God's love can change me so much, then I have got to make it my life's mission to tell everybody else that I meet how much God's love can change them. Because a life without God's love is a life that is empty, it is broken, it is destroyed, it is nothing. But a life with God's love is a life that is full, it is overflowing. And I realized, That my life had to be a life where I was ambitious about giving God glory, not Alex glory. And when you experience God's love, when you really experience God's love, you want to love God with all your strength. You want to use today, you want to use tomorrow, you want to use next week, next year. You know what? If I could only share with you what I want to do in 30 years, you would laugh your head off at me. 
because you'd be like, Alex, there's no way that you're going to be able to do that. But you know what? I'm ambitious for God. Why? Because God's love has changed me. It has changed me. And the one I've discovered who loves the Lord their God with all their strength is the one who aspires to use their gifts and their talents and their education, their upbringing, their opportunities, their circle of influences for the purposes of God. That is how you love the Lord your God with all your strength. Remember what Jesus said. We quoted Mark chapter 12 and verse 29 earlier on. The same account is written in Luke chapter 10, verse 25 to 28. And it's a little different. Luke records some different things, but it's the same story. This is what it says. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life. I mean, come on, isn't that the question we all want to ask? I mean, we know that one day we're going to die. And 99% of the people in this world believe that there is an afterlife. There's people who believe that once we die, we die. But 99% of people believe in an afterlife. They believe in a heaven or a hell, or they believe that we're going to be reincarnated. They they either believe that we're going to go to some place, that our soul floats around the earth. People think that we become ghosts. But 99% of people believe that there is an afterlife. And so the question is this, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? It's a question on most people's lips. You ask someone who's dying or, or, you know, they're going through a time in their life where they realize life is short. That's the question they want to know. And so the religious expert in religious law asked Jesus this. Verse 26 says, Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? And the man answered this. He says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. He says, you're right. That's the greatest commandment. Mark actually says that Jesus quoted that. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. And then Jesus says this in verse 28. He says, do this, and you will live. Do this and you will live. Do what? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength. If you do it, you will live and you will inherit eternal life. That's what Jesus is saying. And we believe that if you are a believer of Jesus Christ, then when you die, the eternal life that you will inherit will be a a life in heaven that will be more than what you could ever imagine. There'll be no more tears, no more hurt. There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more night. There'll be no more sun and moon, the Bible says. It says because the glory of God will radiate and bring light to everyone. It's It's a place where there's a city and God is there and the The roads are paved with gold. 
And there's a river that runs through this place in heaven. And by the side there is fruit. And there are no more seasons. And the fruit is always ripe. And, and, and it's a place where, where people will go. And they will start to understand the full glory of God. And Jesus says, how you get that is to love the Lord your God. To love the Lord your God means using what you can do. What you are able to do. Being deliberate about what you actually do. And using your aspirations for God. It means that God has given us the abilities to serve Him. It means we have been given the opportunity to work for Him. It means that we need to be intentional about putting our hand to the plow and doing what needs to be done. So I ask you today, how are you going to love the Lord your God with all of your strength? What can you do for God? Let's bow our heads.